Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Kenneth Bohn Nielsen. I'm a social anthropologist working at the University of Oslo, and I'm also the coordinator of the Norwegian Network for Asian Studies. I'm joined today by a trio of experts on West Bengal politics who are here to discuss and analyze the recently concluded state assembly elections in West Bengal. Welcome to Niladri Chatterjee, postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Development and the Environment in Oslo. Saad Mahmood, Assistant Professor in Political Science at Presidency University in Kolkata. And Ariel Engelsen-Rood, Professor at the Department of Culture Studies and Oriental Languages at the University of Oslo. Welcome to all of you and thank you for joining us today. The Indian state of West Bengal is home to roughly 100 million people. It is one of the politically most important states in India. Elections in Bengal are always keenly watched by political analysts and commentators as the outcome usually have political significance much beyond the state itself. This year, elections to the state assembly were held in a full eight phases from the end of March to the end of April. The main actors in the fray were the party of the incumbent chief minister, Mamta Banerjee, of the Trinamool Congress. The main opposition has been the BJP that heads the government at the national level, as well as an alliance comprising the left parties along with the Congress party and the Indian Secular Front, a party headed by an influential Muslim cleric. So without further ado, Saad Mahmood, please guide us through the results. Who won, who lost, and who will head the next state government? Thank you, Kenneth. As you rightly pointed out, West Bengal is keenly observed state for its wider significance. Niladri and Arendt has written about the relevance of West Bengal in their piece for the BJP. Now, this was a quite an epic election, not only in terms of the eight phases, but with 2,132 candidates and a bitter political contestation between the parties. At the end, it was an emphatic two-third majority for Mamata Banerjee and the incumbent TMC. This election is historic because it also marks the complete electoral collapse of the left and the Congress alliance, which did not manage to win a single seat in the assembly. This feat is unheard, unprecedented since 1946. The BJP, which was claiming to win 200 seats, mounted a massive campaign spearheaded by the prime minister and the home minister won 77 seats, which is far short of the 200 seats that they were claiming, but they did manage to become the main and the only opposition in the assembly. Now, just to talk about the voting figures, the Trinamool has won 213 seats and a vote share of 47.94%, which is a historic high for the Trinamool, whereas the BJP has managed to win 38% of the votes and 77 seats which is much worse than its 2019 parliamentary election results. In in terms of regional dispersion, BJP could not repeat its performance of 2019, and the Trinamool has won back many of those seats. We can discuss these in much more details later, and there are two or three very important things that I would like to point out. There were 148 turncoat candidates fielded by the BJP. These are turncoats from Trinamool, from the left, from the Congress, out of those 148 turncoat candidates, only six managed to win. So political defection was not rewarded this election. 
The Trinomul has done exceedingly well in urban as well as rural areas, as well as in constituencies which have some Muslim majority. So that is all for now. Niladri Charity, uh, if we look at this election in a broader historical perspective, I mean, how significant is this election? Or if I can put it slightly differently, what does this election tell us about the evolution or the development of politics in, in post-colonial West Bengal? Thank you, Kenneth. And yes, this was a historic election, not just for the state of West Bengal, but had its implication even at the national level. Now, since the independence of India in 1947, the legislative assembly elections have been of such importance only three times. The first was the 1951-52 election, whereby the Indian National Congress had won 150 out of the 238 seats, scoring a victory that was clear enough to shape the politics of West Bengal for the next 16 years. The second was the coming of the power of the left alliance, first in the late 1960s as a part of a coalition, and then as rulers from 1977 onwards. The left front coalition determined the course of the state for the next 34 years and is very much part of its legacy today. The third shift came actually with the rise of the centrist and the populist Mamata Banerjee and her All India Trinamool Congress in 2011. Mamata's rise to power had much to do with the increasing popular disenchantment and frustration in the state that had seen economic decline, loss of job opportunities and increasing corruption. The election of 2021 in that sense is a fourth and such moment to potentially reconfigure the politics of the state for years to come and it has at least to a certain extent, managed to reconfigure the political culture of the state of West Bengal. Most interestingly, also as Zad mentioned, in the post-colonial state of West Bengal, this will be the first time ever where the assembly will have absolutely no representation from either the left or the Congress. The significance of this election is manifold, and I would not talk about all the points, but I will just quickly mention a couple of those issues. And the first and most important aspect of this election was definitely the rise of right-wing Hindu nationalist or Hindutva politics in West Bengal, never really witnessed in the last seven decades. Despite the fact that the voters in the state have rejected the idea of nationalism and Hindu nationalism in particular, one cannot ignore the fact that the Hindu ideology has been rooted in this region for the last 200 years. As Zad has famously put it in one of our earlier conversations, A win in West Bengal for the BJP would have meant coming back to its roots, Bengal being the Hindu nationalist movement's own Jerusalem. Consequently, we have seen a BJP juggernaut that was unleashed in West Bengal. For the first time, we have seen the whole Central Saffron Brigade spearheaded by the duo Prime Minister Modi and Home Minister Amit Shah, and also included other chief ministers of Northern India, such as Yogi Adityanath, who had virtually camped themselves steadfastly in Bengal during this whole time spending millions of rupees, manipulating the media, and paying little attention to the ongoing second wave of the COVID pandemic. The second point I would like to highlight in this case is the question of populism intertwined with identity politics that has dominated the electoral campaigns. Both the BJP as well as the Trinamool Congress have harped on these two and played out their cards accordingly. While the BJP used the Draconian Citizenship Amendment Act to woo the certain sections of the population in Bengal, that included the Matuas and the Rajbangshis, Mamata and the Trinamool Congress, too, used various social welfare schemes for various groups, including women, who constitutes nearly 49% of the population. The other important perspective of this identity politics has also been the religious card. 
from invoking the Ram Rajya by the BJP while donating petty cash to please the Muslim clerics and chanting Hindu religious shlokas by Mamata and the Trinamul Congress, amongst many others. So let's look a bit more closely at the woman who will now embark on her third term as Chief Minister of West Bengal, that is Mamta Banerjee. She's been in this game since the 1970s and has been a household name in the politics of the state for close to four decades now. Aril Drood, how would you describe Mamta Banerjee as a politician and why does she remain so popular among such a large section of the electorate? That's a good question, Kenneth. I don't know how far back you remember things, but I remember things very well back into when CPIM was still in power in West Bengal. And they were in power for 33, 34 years, right? Really a formidable force. And then there's this loony woman. They called her, I mean, the term they used was maverick, right? She was the maverick. And it was all about Mamata. You know, the police hit her, someone tore her sari. It was all about her. And of course, she's a very interesting political figure because she comes from nowhere, basically. I mean, she's a Brahmin, but she's not from a well-connected political family or anything. She's not rich. She's not even married. She doesn't have children. You know, she's just herself, right? And she joined Congress Party ages ago when it was in power in New Delhi. And she claims Rajiv Gandhi as her political mentor. But she broke with Congress and then she and she established her own political party called the Grassroots Congress, Trinamul Congress, and launched a campaign to oust the communists from power in West Bengal. It was tremendously self-centered. It was so selfish. It was just her, 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 all through these years of struggle. But she had some lucky breaks. I mean, she, she really managed to pull a lot of attention to herself. And she really managed to get herself into whatever political controversy was happening. And one of the big things that really happened was Shingur. Right, that you've written about, Kenneth, and which is really interesting because it this plant, this industrial plant that was going to be established in West Bengal and land just west of Calcutta, land was taken by the government and there were local protests. And she got herself into that whole local protest and basically upset the whole deal so that in the end, the deal was cancelled. And in the following election, the CPIM, the rulers, the left front, who had ruled for 34 years, lost. They didn't lose with a whole lot. They just lost with just a little, right? But they lost power and she got into power. And the interesting, there's an interesting thing here, which is a different story. But that is that CPIM, who had ruled for 34 years, lost with just a few percentages and Momota Banerjee won. But in the following elections, they lost with a whole lot more, which is what Bozad and Niladev pointed out that the CPIM is virtually non-existent anymore in West Bengal. But that's a side story. Momata Banerjee is, you know, she built this organization, her political party. She is the center of it. She is the face of all the constituency candidates in this election. She's won three elections now. And someone said about her political party, it's, it's a bit of a unique political party. I'm not quite sure it's unique, but it, it needs to be understood as something different from what we normally consider a political party to be. It's not a party with deeper history or a committed cadre base. It is built on the sheer energy of a lady called Momata Banerjee, and it revolves around her. People keep joining, people keep leaving. 
the core is Mamata Banerjee, known as Didi, uh, sister, big sister, nothing else. And of course, that's uh, she is a natural force. She truly is a force. But that also creates that whole party and the position extremely vulnerable. Because if she does something wrong, if she decides to retire, if there are errors, if she becomes sick, the whole thing will falter. Sad, if I may bring you back into the conversation now, uh, because you are the you're the only one among this team to actually have been present in West Bengal during this uh, full election campaign, and you've had the chance to observe a good deal of it firsthand. This time around, Mamta Banerjee spent quite a bit of the campaign in a wheelchair. In your view, what worked in her favor in this particular election campaign? This this is the million dollar question, Kenneth, because the size of the mandate. The difference between the BJP and the Trinamool is something that most of the exit polls could not predict. And so we were all surprised by the extent of this victory. And what I can do here is that I can just lay out the terrain of this elections for all of you, which I'm sure you all know, and then point out few reasons which I think would and might have worked in favor of Trinamool. So the first The election was this enormous political struggle for Mamata Banerjee. In 2019, the BJP had won 18 parliamentary seats. There was very high-profile defections of Shubhendu Odhikari and Mukul Rai. These are prominent leaders of TMC to the BJP. And this 2021 election was happening when there was serious anti-incumbency of 10 years. The TMC had been marred by allegations of corruption and repression. Unemployment is a big issue in West Bengal and all of this. And there was constant effort towards polarization, which both the BJP and Trinamool are guilty of to a certain extent. So there was an enormous challenge. And here in facing this challenge was the lady which Arild explained to before us in excellent terms, this character, this maverick leader who was leading all of this. And And she won. She won the charm of Modi, the electoral machinations of Amit Shah, the entire money power of BJP, completely decimated and devastated. So in no order of hierarchy, I'm just laying out a few prominent factors or reasons that worked for BJP this election. First is that the TMC took a fiercely anti-BJP and anti-center oppositional politics. Now, this politics played out with a subtext of sub-nationalism, right? Where the BJP was projected as the party of the outsiders. The entire, one of the major planks was Bengali versus the outsiders. Bohira Goto, this was one of the continuous. So, Trinamul was making a claim on the cultural legacy, the cultural repertoire of Bengal. And BJP was continuously projected as the party of the outsiders who had little knowledge of Bengal. The main campaign, Bangla Nijer Meki Chai, Bengal wants its own daughter. So here the emphasis was on Bengal and own and daughter. So the theme of cultural exceptionalism and Bengali subnationalism, and this was of course aided by some of the mindless remarks by prominent BJP leaders identifying Bengalis by their food habits as Bangladeshis and creating anti-Romeo squads in Bengal if they come to power. These, of course, did were not well accepted by the overall mass. 
Second, that in 2019 elections, a large number of middle class voters across India seems to have reposed their faith on the Prime Minister Modi and the BJP. But the fuel price rises, the gas LPG cylinder price hikes, the complete bungling of the COVID management by the government. And Niladri and I are incidentally trying to write on that. And all of this have come together where there is some kind of shift of the middle classes from the BJP. The pictures, the fifth, the sixth, seventh and eighth phase election happened. But every day in the newspapers, you had pictures of overflowing crematoriums, people waiting outside hospitals and the complete collapse of the health systems. The third, I would say that there was a concerted polarization. And this polarization was this no vote to BJP or anti-BJP polarization, where civil society took part, the Muslim vote consisting nearly 30%. The left liberal secular voters, there seems to be a consolidation against the politics of BJP, right? I can't call it a consolidation against the politics of communalism because that would be theoretical clearing out. But this was a consolidation against the BJP. And this reverse consolidation was aided by civil society activists, prominent actors, newspapers, even the Telegraph newspaper, which carried on a continuous campaign against the BJP. And of course, the Muslim vote division that was expected with the ISF and uh, Abbas Siddiqui's influence, that did not take place. So the Muslim vote did not break and it remained with Mamata Banerjee. And instead, what we see is that in urban constituencies, in many Muslim-dominated constituencies, there is a consolidation for Mamata Banerjee against the BJP. The fourth, and this has been written much about, and Niladvi also mentioned about this, and Aril also did, this is the popularity of a woman. A woman who's fearlessly negotiating a man's world, mostly alone, on a wheelchair. And she took on the might of all the big leaders. The entire apparatus of the BJP, the Prime Minister, the Home Minister, Election Commission. So women voters, especially who are silent voters, it was always said that Mamata enjoyed an advantage. And even though Trinomul's corruption is widely, the perception is widespread, Mamata Banerjee herself has not been personally compromised. And there was this populist, and true to her character, she has introduced a number of welfare schemes. The last one being the Shastho Shati, which is a 5 lakh rupee health insurance. Now, these kinds of welfare schemes actually help the electorate. Moitrish Ghatok of the LSE points out that in West Bengal, incomes have declined, but consumption hasn't declined, which means that the doles and the welfare schemes have actually reached the people. And, and finally, and this is something I've been emphasizing everywhere, is that Prashant Kishore and the strategy that was adopted by the TMC because we know that BJP, when it tries to win a state, it unleashes a blitzkrieg. It unleashes a mammoth organization and money. The way the BJP promoted its campaign and the way Trinomul responded to it, the very fact that defectors of Trinomul were accepted by BJP actually reduced the moral gap between the BJP and the Trinomul on terms of corruption. So there was a successful campaign. And I think these are the main key reasons that we can attribute this enormous victory to. So a successful campaign in the sense that she can now look forward to a third term in office, even with an increased majority in, in the state assembly. But she does have to deal with something that she hasn't had to deal with before. And that's a state assembly where the Hindu nationalist BJP has a significant presence. 
it's not just the, the main opposition in the state. It is, by now, you can say, the only opposition in the state. So, Ariel Root, if we bracket out the current assembly election just for a bit and, and look at this historically, it is striking that it's during her tenure as chief minister that the BJP has been able to gain not just a, a foothold in the state, but actually to capture the entire oppositional space. I mean, before she became chief minister in 2011, the BJP was by all accounts, a non-entity in, in the politics of the state. It could hardly win any seats at all. Now it's managed around 38% of the votes and came close to capturing 80 seats in, in the state assembly. What's happened? I think we often tend to think of West Bengal is, as something of an exception in India, and to some extent it is. Of course, I mean, all states are to some extent, but there's more or less. I think you look at some states, such as Tamil Nadu, the two major political parties are both very specific to Tamil Nadu. They don't exist elsewhere. In West Bengal, you've always had a, a local political party that's been very large or even dominant, but you've also always had a large opposition that's been a national political party. So Congress for many years, and now, of course, BJP. So this, it's not like Bengal is wholly separate from national politics. It's also part of national politics, but it also has a regional dimension. But I think that one of the interesting things with this regional dimension is that the what one might call the modern tradition is so strong in West Bengal. The idea that the world should progress forward is quite a strong notion that you would find among people, even in villages. And so one of the reasons why Mamata Banerjee is so popular, as Zad was uh, talking about, that she represents a, she has a, a political style which is based on simplicity. You know, she's wearing very simple clothes. She's wearing chopples, very simple plastic sandals. She's enormously energetic. I, she's not very big, right? She's a small framed woman. And I saw her once walking in front of a march. And she had by that time when I saw her, you know, when she passed where I was standing, walked for at least 10 kilometers. And she was still walking at a very strong pace, very strong. She's extremely energetic and she's very simple. In her style, she's very simple. And she was fighting, as Ad was pointing out, she was fighting the entire organizational strength of the national government, right? Of the national ruling political party with all its money, all its social media trolls, its huge organizations, its capacity for mobilizing activists, its many chief ministers, its political leaders, all descending on West Bengal to give speeches. And there she was, lonely woman. So it's quite interesting to see what she was up against. And that's part, I think, of her appeal. She was, to some extent, the underdog in this, even though she was already the chief minister. She was the underdog against this onslaught of power and might and this self-assured arrogance of the Delhi government, of the BJP. You know, we're going to take West Bengal, look at us do it. And and they were so self-satisfied and, and confident that it really backfired. It really did. And I think that's the, the whole democratic ethos is actually quite strong in West Bengal. You wouldn't have the kind of political leaders in West Bengal that you have, for instance, in UP, such as Mayawati uh, of the uh, BSP, 
who has all this money and all this this jewelry and and this huge corruption scandals and the building big things Mamata Banerjee has a very different style and it's a very Bengali style and there is some pride I think quite extensively in West Bengal in upholding a sort of an exceptional an idea of an of an exceptional political culture and she's fearless and she's also a bit of a populist as Zard points out she has a lot of really progressive welfare programs that she has launched and but she's also a bit of a populist she is and she thrives and a lot of her her media appearances are very the excellent sound bites and she does it excellently so i think that the bjp in parliament in west bengal will have a a bit of a job to because her position is now so strong in terms of seats they will have a bit of a job in unsettling her but it's quite clear there's no reason to doubt it that they will aim for the next election that they are going to i mean they they will not suffer such a defeat if they can avoid it they will not suffer such a defeat a second time so they will use whatever position they have now to point to all her faults and all her errors and there is going to be quite a substantial number of faults and errors because the electorate in in west bengal as elsewhere may be open to be convinced by bravado but they can also be quite uncompromising and will shoot down people they feel are not living up to the kind of standards that they would expect from elected leaders and they have these strong democratic ideals i think they're quite widespread in the state strong democratic ideals that that set high standards for political leaders Niladri Chatterjee, if we if we dwell on the BJP just for a little bit longer, I mean it's it's early days yet. There's much we don't know about um, who voted for what and for for what reasons and and so on. But looking back, based on on what we've heard through campaign rhetoric, on the media reports that we have from the various districts and blocks, the BJP must have done something right, uh, getting close to forty percent of the votes. In any case, if we look at this campaign, where how and why have the bjp managed uh, to make such inroad what has attracted voters towards the bjp this time round based on the electoral outcome and and something that we have already talked about bjp has actually not made much of a significant inroads compared to the lok sabha election result of 2019 the vote share of bjp has in fact declined although not significantly from around 40.5% in 2019 to 38% in this election But if you look back from 2011 assembly elections when the BJP's vote share was a mere 4% or the 2016 election where the vote share rose to 10% it is definitely astonishing to see the rise of the vote share of BJP in Bengal. Now there are multiple reasons behind this rapid growth in Bengal where BJP has not been a traditional force to be reckoned with. The first obvious reason is of course the anti-incumbency factor and the lack of a strong opposition in Bengal. as we all are aware of after the historic defeat of the left in 2011 election the party infrastructure and the organization of the left fell literally like house of cards as a result of numerous desertions and vicious attacks on the left workers in the last few years the people of west bengal has been reeling under the pressure of various repressive policies of the state government and not to forget disillusioned and disgruntled by the frauds scandals cut money asking for ransoms for various purposes and so on bjp rightly understood this void that was created and made the most out of this by posing themselves 
as a viable alternative, mainly riding on the populist and development agendas. The rise of BJP in West Bengal can aptly be described, in fact, as an unintended consequence of Mamata Banerjee-led TMC's political strategies to obliterate any opposition. Secondly, as mentioned before, Bengal has an inextricable link to the growth of Hindutva politics in India that has been there, albeit in a very dormant form for the last several decades, in fact. Hindu nationalist organizations such as the Rashtriya Swayamsevak Sangh, RSS, Bharatiya Jant Sangh, BJS, Hindu Mahasabha, including founding members such as Keshav Baliram Hegrewar, Shama Prashad Mukherjee, Nirmal Chandra Mukherjee, Chatterjee, all had their roots in Bengal. The rise of Narendra Modi Amit Shah has taken the Hindu of the politics to a completely new platform, often veiled with jargons such as development and growth. The old bases of the RSS in Bengal were invigorated with a renewed purpose, now becoming more feasible with the changed political scenario. For a section of the population, mainly the Hindus, that comprises approximately 70% of the population as per the 2011 census, this was an opportunity to finally come out of their secular veil that had dominated the political culture of West Bengal for many decades. As you rightly noted, it is too early, in fact, for us to say anything very definitively, but it would not be wrong to assume that about 50% of this 70% of the Hindu population actually voted for the BJP, while the Muslims overwhelmingly voted for the TMC in this election. I would like to mention the third factor, and which is again linked with my previous point, and this is about the identity politics, a type of political rallying that focuses on group identity rather than class. Now, as Arild was uh, mentioning before, Bengal has embodied a kind of political culture in which class rather than caste and religion has been considered to be more important, one in which the rulers actively have taken a stance against the kind of political chaos that has come to dominate large parts of India. Now, BJP has managed to turn this around, heralding the end of what Aril pointed out just before as the end of Bengal's exceptionalism. Their invocation of the Citizen Amendment Act is the primary expression of this agenda. The CAA allows for non-Muslim refugees from Pakistan and Bangladesh to obtain Indian citizenship, but not Muslim refugees. On the contrary, efforts are on to expel Muslims suspected of being Bangladeshis. At the same time, BJP's highly efficient army of online trolls and activists pushed the idea of the so-called love jihad, that Muslim boys married Hindu girls in order to convert to Islam, and of infiltration from across the border from Bangladesh of ever larger number of Muslims. Those who objected to those allegations were labeled as anti-national by the troll army. The popularity of the BJP is also reflected from the election results of the Motuas. Just to give a couple of examples, a sect of Vaishnavite Hindus within the scheduled caste category, mostly in the southern districts of Bengal, and also, for instance, the Rajbangshi's communities that resides mainly in the northern Bengal, where they have won quite convincingly, extending the success to a many extent from the 2019 Lok Sabha election. So clearly, even though the BJP seems to have performed relatively well, it certainly didn't perform well enough to claim the post as, uh, as chief minister. But in, in the midst of what is undoubtedly a spectacular triumph for, for Mamta Banerjee, uh, there's, a, there's a fun fact of sorts to be noted. And that is that she in fact lost in the constituency that she sought election from. 
She was defeated by a local strongman that we've already heard mentioned before, Shubendo Odigari, although by a rather narrow margin, to be frank. And now, technically, that's uh, not a big deal. She can continue as chief minister as long as uh, she manages to get elected to the assembly within uh, half a year. But Saad Mahmoud, on a more symbolic or personal level, is, is this defeat a blow to Sumanta Banerjee? When I was discussing the election results, I kept this part out because this is probably another big surprise of this election. Because as some people are trying to posit it, that this was a verdict for Momota. And if that is true, how can we explain her defeat in Nundigram, the place, the site of anti-land acquisition movement, which made Momota the leader she is today? And as you rightly pointed out, this was a big loss for the TMC. The margin is 1,956 votes, which is less than 1%. But it is still symbolic that Mamata Banerjee lost. Now, of course, the decision to contest election from Nondigram was a decision which Mamata took. And in hindsight, now it appears it was a masterstroke. She took the fight to the opposition. Shubendu Odikari was a high-profile minister who had defected, joined the BJP, and he had the wherewithal to bring about a large-scale defection within the Trinomu. So Mamuta took the fight to Shubendu in Nondigram, and it was also Shubendu's fiefdom. So Mamuta being a candidate there, Shubendu Odikari had to focus a lot more to maintain, manage, control his political apparatus. So at one level, this helped her limit and contain the defection, the loss of a big leader. But at another level, it was Momota betting her popularity to take on Shubhendu. So this was Momota versus Shubhendu and his organization. And at the end, Momota lost. That is a fact. And now, of course, the election results have been questioned. Momota Banerjee has announced that she's going to move the court seeking re-election. We have uh, Mamata Banerjee showing to the media uh, a SMS text message where uh, somebody saying that I can't announce a recall because my life would be under threat. And this has led to all this kind of conspiracy and other kinds of ideas. Mamata personally has tried to actually underplay this loss. When she was asked this question, she said, we have got such a big victory. People of Nondigram have decided it's good. I don't have to go there now very often. It's all right. We have won a massive victory. So I agree with your, in a sense, that this is a symbolic loss. This is a symbolic loss given that she had given a call that voters should vote for the TMC as she was the candidate in 294 constituencies. But politically, the significance of that loss is minor. Because of this massive victory, Momota's this loss does not appear as big as it should have in other circumstances. However, it leaves another question that at a very deep individual level and listening to Aril, the kind of personality Mamata Banerjee is, an authoritarian tendency, a populist leader, a very centralizing figure. Now, these kinds of figures often do not respond well to defeat or defection or betrayal. So it remains to be seen how things pan out in the case of this dynamics between Shubhendu and Mamota or this case of Nondigram. 
the enormity of TMC victory offsets any loss of personal charisma for Mamota. And I think we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. It will be something interesting to watch out. I began this podcast by saying that a state election in, in West Bengal usually has national significance. So as we approach the end of this conversation, um, let's return to the national implications of, of the results. Mamta Banerjee has arguably been perhaps the most visible and vocal opposition politician in India for the past many years, in fact. And she has been also among the most outspoken critics of Narendra Modi's government, which I think also explains the massive efforts made by the BJP to to dislodge her this election. They failed, and so Mamta is here to stay. She has a stronger mandate, and she will have another five years in, in the limelight. We can add to this, I think, the, the growing resentment in the Indian population against the very poor handling of the COVID crisis by the national government and the fact that the Indian economy remains in crisis with very high unemployment rates and growing rates of, of poverty. Is there now an opening for Mamta Banerjee and, of course, allied oppositional forces to take the game to Narendra Modi and the BJP? Or will she, given that the, the BJP is rather strong in Bengal now, increasingly be confined to her home state, fighting to prevent defections and holding her government together that she will perhaps fade from the national spotlight? 30 seconds to each of you to reflect on the national implications of this election and Mamta Banerjee's future as a high-profile national politician. And Aurel, you go first. Okay, thank you. Well, I think that she will have her hands full of West Bengal, and there will be a limit to how much she can do outside of West Bengal. She did try to get a foothold in Delhi some years back, but it didn't really work out. One of her really strong qualities is that she has a personal relationship to every one of her you know, activists and leaders. And that's why I completely agree with Zad here that the you know, non-degram loss is not going because she already won, right? And she won partly because she took up the fight in non-degram. The guy, her op opponent in Nandigam, was her previously lieutenant, and he defected. So she puts a high premium on loyalty, and she hates people who are... And she shows this, right? She really shows it. And I think that's one of her... Really, her strengths. She's personally engaged in each and every one of her leaders. And you can tell from when there are meetings, when she at rallies, she makes sure that people are seated properly, that they're okay. She's very sort of intimately personal, right? She doesn't have, I think, that the capacity to move much beyond West Bengal. Also because it's it's mainly a linguistic thing, you know, it's it's language based. This uh, this intimacy and the reason why BJP and before that Congress became national parties is because they had organisations. Mohammed Banerjee doesn't really have an organization as such. Nilari, uh, your assessment? Yes, but before my final point, I would just like to kind of take up, continue from uh, the RL's point, which was a continuation of Zad's point. And I believe that it was a masterstroke, as Zad mentioned. It was a political masterstroke, and to my understanding, because if you see in the 2019 election, when riding on the so-called Hindutva wave and all the development agendas amongst many other failures... Narendra Modi, who was such a popular figure at that point of time, and even now I guess he is, he didn't have the audacity to stand from one particular center, but he had to choose both. For Mamata Banerjee and the TMC, the party has always been about one-man show, or in this case, one-woman show. 
it was an imperative for Mamata this time to lead from the front with the fear and apprehension amongst many of our party leaders about the possible BJP onslaught. So it, it was extremely important for Mamata to make it a point and make sure that she is leading the way by challenging the one of our former right-hand person, Shubhendu Adhikari, by taking the struggle straight to him and single-handedly stand from one center rather than from you know making it or from a couple of centers. Well, coming back to the point, I think it's too early to guess her next political move. However, to me, what appears significant is that uh, this massive electoral mandate of Mamata Banerjee and the TMC was to a large extent shaped by the reaction against the BJP's Hindutva Jagannath in Bengal. The apparent polarization of votes, especially the Muslim votes in West Bengal, that constitutes about 28 to 30 percent of the population, was definitely dictated by the fear and apprehension of the Muslims against the possible onslaught of the Hindutva politics. As a result, have quite clearly showed the Muslim rejected the left front Congress ISF alliance while voting en masse for the TMC as their kind of sole custodian. It is possible from this whole outcome that in the coming years, as long as BJP will continue in their quest towards conquering the final frontier and continue their will in the years to come with everything at their disposal, let us know, make no mistake about it, while the left remains tattered, having lost all its political legitimacy, Mamata Banerjee and the TMC will have a bit of a sigh of relief, even if it is at least for the time being. This mandate also implies that, and although it's not explicitly stated, but it was already hinted by Mamata in her first media appearance right after the election result, that Mamata will be interested and now have the political authority and a national credibility to unite the non-BJP parties, regional as well as national, under a leadership for the final showdown against Modi Shah-led BJP in the 2025 Lok Sabha election. But whether she will succeed in forging this coalition, only time will tell. But to my understanding, the possibility of going national may only happen for as long as Mamata remains confident about her own political stability within Bengal. Saat, uh, I'd like to hear also your reflections on, on what the future has in store here. I would like to begin by stating that Arind and Miladri have touched upon the main points. Let me just contextualize this because I'm here. Right now, tomorrow is the day when Mamata Banerjee is going to take oath as chief minister. The BJP president is in Kolkata to protect BJP workers from violence. 11 people have already lost their life to post-poll violence. Some people have moved the court seeking imposition of Article 356 in Bengal. Mamata Banerjee has started a campaign stating that all Indians should get free vaccine for the government. And this is just two days after the election. Of course, BJP has 77 seats and it is the main opposition. But I think the BJP is not going to give up. I agree with Arild and Niladri. And it is going to walk a path of greater polarization to consolidate its vote. Mamata does not need to think about staving of defections or holding her government together given the size of her victory. And Mamata would really like to take the fight to BJP. But my point is that the BJP would keep Mamata confined to West Bengal, given it wants to minimize the damage to the credibility of Narendra Modi and Amit Shah 
and BJP machinery before UP elections or any major national election. So BJP's focus will not move from Bengal and West Bengal will be on the tenter hooks for some time. Now, there is an indeed an opening and as Miladri rightly pointed out, Mamata has expressed a desire to become the oppositional face. Some of her party leaders have said, now we might have a Bengali prime minister after all. But this, I don't think, is possible given the lack of any alternative credible leader in West Bengal to lead the TMC. Going back to Aril's central point, this kind of a semi-authoritarian populist party which hinges on a single personality, it is very difficult to take that personality at the national level without causing harm to the regional party. So there is a possibility, but I don't see that happening. Niladri Chatterjee, Saad Mahmood and Ari Langelson-Root, thank you so much for being with us today. My name is Kenneth Bonilson and thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.